Good morning, City Light. My name's Chris, one of the pastors. It's good to be here. Good to preach this word. I got John chapter 3. I won like the lottery. This is amazing, okay? It's going to be a fun morning to preach. Well, one of the things that's true of our church is that we're not just a big gathering that hang out on Sunday morning. We're not just a crowd of people that believe similar things. I believe that City Light Church is really a spiritual family. And uh, as a spiritual family, we mourn together and we celebrate together, right? That's what families do. They walk with each other and different things. And so City Light Church, I want to just, I'm going to, and personally, I'm in a season of celebration and I want to share that with our church. Is that okay? All right. So here's what it is. Some of you guys know the story of my family, uh, that my wife was in the hospital for a number of months on bed rest uh, as we were expecting our, uh, our third child to be born. And I let you guys know a few weeks ago that my son Jude was born. Uh, my wife is calling him Jude Lewis. I am affectionately calling him Little Beast Mode Haruska. Um, I'm trying to get that as the legal name because on the first day of school, can you imagine in second grade, there's Timmy Smith. Nice. I'm glad you're present. Is little beast mode Haruska here? Present. Everybody's like, okay, I'm not messing with that kid, right? He might be doing some MMA fighting. So I'm, I'm all about that. So anyways, uh, he was born a couple weeks ago. Uh, but um, because he was born premature, my wife has been up in the hospital uh, going back to visit Jude regularly. He's been there trying to grow, get stronger. And so we've been doing this kind of unnatural family rhythm. Uh, when you have a kid, you want to bring your child home to be with the family. And so for two months is what I'm telling you guys. One of the members in my family has been living at the hospital. That's not awesome. It's very expensive as well. Anyway, so we are celebrating today uh, that this week we brought Jude Beast Mode Haruska home from the hospital. And God has been good. Now, um, (laughs) some of y'all yelling out Beast Mode. It's about to be crazy. We're going to do an MMA fight up in here. I don't know what's going on. So. Uh, but I want to say thank you. Thank you, church. So here's, here's why I'm telling this story, um, not just to share my personal life with you, but to let you know that our family, Kristen, I, and our family, uh, we have felt the love of Jesus Christ through this family. And um, I want to say some of the elders and pastors, uh, they didn't put pressure on me the last two months to work at the same pace I normally do. They joyfully released me to serve as a husband at the home, uh, to serve my wife, to visit her in the hospital, um, to watch my kids and kind of be a stay-at-home dad. And I just want to say thank you. That was awesome. Additionally, so many of you guys have been amazing. Uh, You guys brought us casseroles, like literally five days out of the week. Somebody was bringing us meals. There's this amazing thing called a meal train. I didn't know about it until I was a Christian. It's incredible. There's a website. You sign up, bring your people, bring you meals. And I'm telling you that I have eaten so many lasagnas to the glory of Jesus Christ in the last couple months. Like so much dairy. Y'all just put so much cheese, like just so much so much more cheese on that thing. And, uh, and so we've eaten a lot of lasagnas, all right? And uh, I want to say thank you, though, for all of you that have prayed, that have texted, that have been mindful of us. Um, thank you. Um, also want to say thank you to my boy Gavin Johnson. He preached a month straight, covered this pulpit while I was out, and, uh, and then let me come back and preach John 3. So it's like a double win. Anyway, so wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you to this church. We love you, and uh, you guys have become a family to us. We want to appreciate it. Now, I get to preach the Bible, so can we open our Bibles? John chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, open them up there. And as Gavin said, this is maybe a familiar passage. John three sixteen is in this text. For God so loved the world, we all know it. It's on bumper stickers. We know it's on, um, it's on uh, mugs. It's on T-shirts. We've heard the verse. We're familiar with the passage. But we cannot skim over this chapter. 
You know, Jesus actually says some incredibly unnerving things in this chapter. And this chapter is filled with tension and drama. There's this dialogue that's going to happen between Jesus and the religious leader of the time named Nicodemus, who was educated, and he was the guy who worked hard, and he was the dude who knew some stuff. And, and there's going to be this dialogue, and there's going to be this question on the table. What must we do to inherit eternal life? What does it look like for us to actually become born again? What does it look like for us to have spiritual life? That's the question. And I've titled this message, Jesus Taking Teachers to School. All right? And that's what's going to happen. King Jesus, the divine teacher of truth, is going to sit the religious leader down who thinks he knows some truth and he's going to teach him some things. So I want us to learn from teacher Jesus today. Now, maybe you're a brand new Christian. You just got baptized. Maybe you're new to the church. Maybe you've been around some different kind of churches in the past and you think Christianity is, is something that it's not. What, the reason that I'm excited for you to be here today is Jesus is going to bring into focus the very foundational truths of our faith. He's going to say, this is the good news of who Jesus Christ is. This is the good news of what God can do in your life. This is the good news of what God can do in your life. Amazing, right? Additionally, if you're a Christian and you've been around the church for a long time, I, my hope and my challenge, like Kevin said, is that you would not just agree with some theological truths that I'm going to present to you today, but that as we study this story, we would be taking inventory of the work that God's done in us and we'd be saying, yes, that's true in me. Yes, God's done that in me. Yes, that's not just a conversation that happened two years, a thousand years ago. That's true and it actually happened in me. And so people of God, you, you can sit here and you can agree and you can kind of say, yeah, I've heard that before. Or you can allow the spirit of God to remind you of the amazing, miraculous, supernatural work that God has done in our lives. Is that okay? So let's jump in. I got three points, three points. They're all questions. And so let's jump in. Here's point one. First question I want to ask you, are you striving to get better or have you been made new? And here's why. Don't we all want to get better? All a little bit fitter, all a better spouse. I want to be a better parent. I want to be a little bit more patient. If I could just be a little bit more joyful and my face wouldn't look so angry all the time, right? We all have these little things that we want to get better in. And I think in the back of our minds, we believe that this is what God wants from us. That he wants you to be a better version of you. And when you become a better version of you, then God will finally be pleased with you. And Jesus is going to sit down this guy named Nicodemus who has made his life about being a better version of him. And he's going to say, no, 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 no. I haven't come just to make you a better you. I've come to make you new. Now that was alliterated. You better get with me. Come on. That was serious. So Jesus is going to sit him down and say, I've got a bigger thing for you than that. Now, John chapter three, verse one, let's read 21 verses. We got to move. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. All right. So John is setting up the dialogue. He's introducing the characters. And the first thing that we learn about Nicodemus is that he was a Pharisee. What are the Pharisees, okay? The Pharisees are the religious leaders at the time. If we're going to break down humanity into good people and bad people, they were most definitely the good kids, okay? So a Pharisee was somebody who had spiritual authority. They were very serious about their faith. They were not passive lightweights, okay? These are the guys who would memorize the first five books of the Bible, Okay? Now, we all know on January 1, we open up our Bibles, and what do we tell the Lord? Jesus, this is going to be the year I read from front to back the entire Bible, because I love you and I'm committed. 
And then a few weeks in, we get into the book of Numbers or Leviticus, and we're like, never mind. I'm going back to John. Can't do it. Not going to do it. Just too much. <laughs> That's not this guy. Nicodemus, he, he memorized those books that we, we struggle to read. And additionally, the Pharisees were people who took vows to obey the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. They were like, whatever God's law is, we're going to learn the laws and we're going to obey the laws. That's us. And additionally, they didn't just try to learn the laws and try to obey the laws. They put laws on top of those laws so they'd make sure they would obey the laws without compromise. That's these guys. Now, to sum up Nicodemus, imagine 15-year-old Nicodemus showing up at your house to take your little girl to prom. You are incredibly relieved it is Nicodemus. Okay? This is the guy that shows up in his mom's minivan. He always drives five miles underneath the speed limit. He carries around a very thick study Bible with him at all times. He tucks his shirt in. His hair is nice, okay? I mean, this guy's got all of the presets on the minivan to K-Love, okay? Positive encouraging. We're going to jam out to Jesus music today, y'all, okay? That's Nicodemus, okay? No 90s rap, no flat bill hat, pants are all the way up. That's this guy, all right? You see me, not so good. Anyways, okay, let's keep going. Verse two, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Not a horrible start, not calling Jesus a heretic. He says, Jesus, you're a teacher, you're a rabbi. You have some spiritual authority. God is obviously with you. You're doing miracles, you're performing signs. Okay, I'm coming to you as a rabbi. I want to learn something from you, but notice when he comes to Jesus. When is it? In the still of night, under the cover of darkness. Remember, Jesus is not super popular with the religious leaders at this time. He just flipped some tables in the temple. He made some enemies. People are not super pumped about King Jesus. Yay. No, no. He's the dude who flipped the table over, right? Got a whip and started moving animals up out the way. That's Jesus. He made a commotion. So the religious leaders are not associating with Jesus at this time. But Nicodemus comes at night, he sneaks away from the religious leader's crowd because he has a desire, he has an interest, he wants to know who is Jesus, he wants to learn something from Jesus. Now, uh, I, just, I just wonder if that's some of you right now. Some of you have friends and family members that aren't excited about your particular interest in Jesus Christ. You've got some professors that wouldn't root you on in your, your pursuit of Jesus, and yet you've kind of snuck away from some people that are not excited about Jesus, and you're here today because you're saying, Jesus, are you real? Jesus, can you change my life? Jesus, are you really the son of God? And you're coming to investigate the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I tell you that God loves to bless that posture. And I'm so proud of you. Would you continue to press in and show up in this place? I've been praying that, that God would be meeting you in that place. Amen? Amen. All right. Now let's continue to get back to Nicodemus because I want you to know Nicodemus's rhythm in life was that he was a man who studied the laws of God in the Old Testament and that he worked really hard to obey. And he's saying, Jesus, would you teach me some things? And I think he wants to learn what's the next step? What's the next thing? What's the next goal? How do I live this out? And Jesus is going to say, no, 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 no. Listen, you're getting this all wrong. I'm not going to give you the next thing to do. I'm not going to give you a practical next step. I'm going to call you into something that's impossible so that you see your need for me. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again? Huh? 
Hold up, hold up, Jesus. Let me have a little conversation with you. Let me sit you down real quick. Let me talk to you about something. I didn't catch that right. Born again. Okay, so let me tell you. My spiritual pedigree is that my dad was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. And my granddaddy, we would all go to the temple. And we've been religious people for a long time. So, I mean, this is just what we do. I mean, doesn't that count for something? No. Mm -mm. Not going to get you into heaven. You got to be born again. Hold up, Jesus. You don't know, no, no. You don't understand, I like pray, I memorize scripture, I give 10% of my income away, I only sing songs that are on K-Love. I mean, come on, Jesus, you gotta understand who I am. I'm telling you that that's all great that you're doing that stuff, but you gotta be born again. Jesus, let me just tell you one more thing. Jesus, let me just tell you, hey, listen, I, I'm not the guy that was a part of the frat party who played beer pong too long and then did some regrettable things at 2 a.m., got in trouble with the campus police. That's not me. I was the guy in my dorm room praying for those guys. Okay. She's like, no, 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 no. That's, that doesn't count. You've got to be spiritually born again. Just good. And so here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is not for people who do something or don't do something. It's for people who have become something new. The kingdom of God It's not about what you're doing. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for you. Do you see that? Jesus is stripping any of the resume, any of the boasting, any of the opportunities for him to say, this is why I'm awesome. He's taking all of that away. He said, you gotta be born again. Now, here's what's happening here. This idea of being born again, the theologians describe this idea in one word called regeneration. It's when Jesus gives us new life where we once were spiritually dead in our sin, God has made us alive to him. And this new regeneration doesn't come from the outside in, it comes from the inside out. And it's marked by a new affection for God, a new appetite for his word, a new power to fight sin, a new desire to love the family of God. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul writes, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone and the new has come. Amen, church. Amen. Have you experienced becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus? Has something changed in your life? Has there been a new desire for God? If so, you've experienced a spiritual rebirth. Now, I want to tell you about my story. I've seen this play out. Um, I, was, um, I went to Wayne State. Uh, I was a freshman in college, the Harvard of the Midwest. Very difficult, as I talk about often, um, to get in. Academic challenging. Anyways, Y'all laugh like that's not true. Did y'all go to Wayne? Y'all don't know. Anyways, um, <laughs> I have so much attitude. I am so sorry. Okay, went to Wayne, had some religious exposure, didn't know Jesus. Student named Cameron sits me down, tells me about this person named Jesus Christ, how he had died so I could be forgiven. I knew in that moment I needed the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Additionally, I wanted that Jesus that would give his life for mine. So I prayed to receive Christ. Now, I woke up the next day. I looked the same. I still had a receding hairline at 18, okay? I was still broke as a joke, okay? Now, that, that nothing changed on my external, but something changed in here. Now, uh, before I was a Christian at college, I went to this little dance club bar thing called Riley's at Wayne. It's like the most ghetto wannabe dance club bar ever, okay? So, so I would go there, and let me just tell you, it, it's the place where you, you know— Old guys hit on young girls. It's the place where dark things happen. It's a dark, it's not a place of spiritual light. And I went there when I wasn't a Christian and I felt totally at home. Fit like I I totally fit in. 
Nothing bothered me about this scene. Nothing bothered me about this environment. And then I came to know Christ. Somebody invited me back. I had some friends. We go in. And I didn't know a whole lot of verses, but the Spirit of God was telling me, Chris, this is not who you are anymore. You, you, you used to run to the darkness, but now you've moved towards the light. This, this, is, this is not what God's called you to. I didn't know all the verses about it. I walked out. I couldn't handle it. It wasn't me anymore. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel like my home. Amen? You know that feeling where you used to do some things and think it was cool, and then you all of a sudden become a Christian? You're like, that's actually kind of weird. That's gross and dirty, and that's not who I am. Okay, here's what happened. I had a Bible. Same year, freshman year. Had a Bible. Take it to college. Why do you take a Bible to college? I don't know. You think it's just going to bless you and make you pass your classes. You know, I don't know. You know, so I had a Bible in my room. I don't know why. I didn't want to read the Bible. Didn't want to believe the Bible. Wasn't going to, you know, actually try to sit under the authority of the Bible, but I had it in my, my room. Okay. I thought it was like a spiritual good luck charm. Okay. So I had it. All of a sudden I become a Christian. And before I was a Christian, I had no desire to read the Bible, study the Bible with friends. All of a sudden I become a Christian. What do you think I have? I opened up the Bible. I start reading this thing. And I have a new appetite for God's word. I would get out of class, rush back to my room, open up my Bible. I, was, I wanted to know Jesus. It was alive. Words that didn't make sense to me before all of a sudden were making sense. It was unbelievable. Additionally, I'm going to tell you guys about my life and my purity and my prayer life. Um, purity, uh, sexual purity was an issue before Jesus. And so I started praying about this issue. And if you've ever heard a brand new Christian pray, it's always very interesting. I think I've shared this story, but I, I started praying, God... I realize that, that making out with non-Christian girls is not your will. I want to honor you. So God, I sincerely, earnestly pray that you would help me only make out with the top, most spiritual Christian girls on campus. <laughs> now, I thought that was a win. And uh, thought I was going to get a badge for that. So then a couple months later, one of the guys leading the ministry sits me down. and said, Chris, I heard you made out with a couple different girls in our ministry. I said, well, Ryan... Are they Christian girls? He said, well, yeah, they're Christian girls. And I said, well, then the Lord is answering prayers. <laughs> I was so serious. He looked at me like, uh, let me, I got to show you a couple of verses. Okay. Uh. <laughs> yeah. All right. I was still working some stuff out. You know, you become born again, but you come in as a baby, right? You come into the family as a baby. So if you're a little messy when you come in, that's okay. Now, um, let me tell you this, Nicodemus' story serves to us as a warning. And in all reality, I want us to see Nicodemus' character because it shows us this one profound reality that you can be spiritually active and yet, religious and, and yet spiritually dead. You can be religiously active and yet spiritually dead. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can go to church, you can study the books, you can get the PhD, you can look the part, and yet you can be lacking eternal life. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but that's just the unnerving thing that Jesus says here. Is he saying, if you've based your confidence that you're going to go to heaven someday on the reality that you're better than the 13-year-old version of you, then you're missing it. You're putting your confidence that you've proved that you got a little bit better. If you're placing your confidence that I'm going to go to heaven and God's proud of me and I think I'm the right kind of guy all of a sudden because I'm behaving, you're missing it. This dude knew how to behave. This dude knew how to get better. And Jesus looked him right in his eyes and says, you must be born again. Church, do we need, we need Jesus Christ. We need a supernatural encounter with the divine. We don't need to go from religious to better. We need to go from dead to alive by the very power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? 
Amen. All right, let's keep moving here. Point two is this. Are you trying harder or trusting in a Savior? Look at verse four. Nicodemus said, how can a man become uh, born uh, when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Solid question, honestly, solid question. Um, <laughs> Nicodemus is a little confused. And, and, and I love this because Nicodemus is telling Jesus, listen, I, I'm a grown man. Mom is getting up there in years, and I just don't see how dad's going to go for this whole born-again strategy. I don't know. This could get messy in a lot of different ways, okay? But, but Jesus is going to redirect the conversation, not into another physical transformation here, but into a spiritual renewal. Look at verse 5 and 6. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, of you or unless one is born of water and, here's the word, the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What Jesus is saying is a dead man can try all he wants, but he can't make himself alive. That a vegetable can try all he wants to become a duck, but that vegetable can't transform himself. Flesh is dead. We don't need to look more inside of ourselves to try to find life. We need life from outside of ourselves to come inside of ourselves to actually bring new life. That's the story of Christianity. That we didn't save ourselves by becoming awesome. Jesus broke into the story and he made us alive. Flesh stays flesh. Spirit leads to spirit. That's what we need. So again, this is Jesus defining what we need to happen if we are going to see the kingdom of God. The question that Nicodemus is asking, the question we should probably be asking is how? How does that happen? Jesus is going to tell us. Verse 7, he's going to start to illustrate this. Let me show you. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay, so it's like Jesus is standing outside with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is confused, and um, he's saying, let me, let me explain to you how the Holy Spirit works in your life. We all see the wind, right? Nobody can control the wind. Nobody can manipulate the wind. No, the wind comes when it comes. It blows where it blows. It moves where it moves, and so it is with the Holy Spirit. When you see the wind, though, even though you can't control it, even though you can't predict it, can you not see evidence of it? Can you not feel its presence on your face? Can you not see the way that it makes the trees move and dance when the wind blows? So it is with the Holy Spirit in your life. When it rushes in in a mighty way, do you not see evidence that there is joy where there was no joy, that there is peace where there was anxiety, that there's a love for the people of God where there used to not be a love for the people of God, where there's ability to forgive and let go, where there used to be just harbored bitterness. Do we not see evidence of the Spirit of God in our lives? That's what he's saying. Amen? Now, so he's saying this is what's, you can see the Spirit's evidence in your life. Let me look at 9 and 10. Here's what he says. This is where the dialogue starts to trail off. He says, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? John 3, 9 and 10. Okay, so Jesus is like, listen, dude, you're the guy who memorized the books. You're the guy who stands up and talks. You're the guy who studied it. Shouldn't you know these things? This is not a new thing. Jesus told you, I mean, we've told you through God's word, even in the Old Testament, this is what's gonna happen. And so what Jesus, one of the things I want to show you is one of the verses that Nicodemus would have been incredibly familiar with. He would have probably memorized. He probably would have known. But in this moment, he's not connecting this idea of what Jesus is talking about, this new spiritual life, to this verse. So I want to just um, show it to you. Per personally, this is a verse out of Ezekiel 36 that has been incredibly helpful 
for me to understand how is it that we get a new nature inside of us. Here it is. Best illustration I found in scripture, Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. It says this. And by the way, as we read these verses, let me just ask you one question. Would you do this with me? Would you pay attention to how active God is and how little we do? I will give you, I will give you, God, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'm gonna give you a new heart. I'm gonna give you a new spirit where there was Anxiety, I'm going to give you peace. Where there was brokenness, I'm going to give you joy. Where you were looking for love and all the right reasons, I'm finally going to satisfy that and answer that question. I'm going to give you a new heart. I know your heart's nicked up. I'm going to put a new heart in your very chest that is living and alive. It's not going to be hard like stone. It's going to be soft and it's going to be alive. Amazing. Who doesn't want this church? When you really understand your nicked up condition before a holy God, who doesn't want this? Who doesn't long for this? Who doesn't want to become new? Who doesn't want to have the spirit of the living God inside of us? Amazing, right? Amazing. And so I look at this and I say, man, I, I long for this and I want this. And the, the heart of man is so fleshly and it says, look at me, recognize me, see how pretty I am. Who doesn't want to be free from that? I want the spirit of God to do that. And I'm hoping as we read those verses and you saw what God does, I'm hoping you guys are sitting in your seat saying, yes, that's my story. Amen. That's my story. That's what God did in my life. Now, some of you guys have been Christians for a long time. You grew up in a Christian home. Mom and dad prayed for you. You've been a part of the local church. But at some point, it was more than just religious activity in your family. At some point, it wasn't just mom and dad's faith. At some point, Jesus Christ became personal to you. And you might've had a childlike faith. And from that moment, you've been trying to fight sin and walk with God. You've been trying to honor Jesus and study his word. You've loved what he loves and you've been pursuing him and fighting sin. That's amazing. Your story might not be, yeah, I was the crazy one. I was the rebellious one. And now look at me, Jesus has changed my life. Your story might be God saved me at a young age, but listen to me, that's not less of a miracle. God has still put his heart and his spirit in you. You are a trophy of his grace take inventory of and celebrate that God saved you early on. Some of you guys are like me. You are El Presidente of the I Do Dumb Crap Club, okay? And uh, you lead the way, you carry the card, you've got the photo, you're the whole thing, okay? And you've made some mistakes. And what I want to say is if Jesus Christ has changed you from the inside out, can we not take inventory and celebrate that that wasn't just us saying, I'm tired of sinning, I'm going to try to turn my life around. That was Jesus bringing new life to us from the inside out. Amazing. Now, some of you guys are saying, hey, can I get another new heart? Because my new heart is kind of already busted up. And, uh, and I feel this struggle and I feel this wrestle and I'm still dealing with some sin. And I know that I've been new, but I'm telling you, I still got a lot of old in me. And that's the tension we feel as Christians. As theo- Let me just tell you what's happening theologically in your life. You still are part flesh, part spirit. And additionally, the Holy Spirit is coming to your life. And those two things are at war, right? And so you're going to feel this natural tug between the flesh's desire for glory and the spirit's desire to give glory to Jesus Christ. The flesh says, look at me. The spirit says, 
Look at Jesus. The flesh says, lust after all of the shiny things in this world. A little bit more of this world. A little bit more. Then you'll finally be happy. The Spirit says, this is not your home. Keep your mind on things above. You'll never be satisfied apart from your Creator. The The flesh says, let's take control. Let's make a plan. Let's manipulate. Let's make this thing happen. The Spirit says, let's trust God in every area of our life. To obey is better than to compromise. Do you feel the wrestle in your soul? Do you feel the war between the flesh and the spirit? What an amazing work that Jesus has put his new spirit and his new heart in us. Now, Jesus isn't done illustrating how this life-changing transformation happens. Verse 14 and 15 are not just kind of the ramp up for John 3, 16. Jesus is gonna drop this amazing gospel illustration here and let me show it to you. This is gonna continue to answer the question for Nicodemus and for me and you. How does one come into the kingdom of God? Let me show it to you. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that whomever believes in him may have eternal life. All right. We kind of jumped here. We were talking about when. Now we're talking about Moses and a serpent in the wilderness. What is going on? Okay. But Jesus is going to show us a picture of the gospel of what Jesus is going to do on the cross for us. And he's going to take us all the way back to Numbers chapter 21, an Old Testament passage. He's going to show us a picture of who Jesus is here. So here's the story. In Numbers 21, God's people are in the desert. If you remember, the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians for hundreds of years. God had delivered them. Now they're in the desert. And all of a sudden, they start to grumble. God, the food's not good here. God's the water's not awesome here. God, why did you put Moses in charge of us? God, why aren't you doing more for us? It's like a spoiled kid, right? And um, all of a sudden, uh, they, they realize this is not good. This is sin. This is grumbling. This is not gratitude. So God judges his people. He sends snakes. The snakes bite the people. They get poisoned. Some die immediately. And everyone else is physically dying in the desert. So they go to Moses. They said, Moses, here's the thing. We've sinned. It wasn't right. We need a savior. You've got to do something. And so Moses prays. God gives him a plan. He says, listen, tell the people this. Make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up high. If the people of God will look at my provision for them, they will be healed and have life physically. This is such a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ is coming to do. He's saying, Nicodemus, don't you get it? This world is dead and dying. It has been poisoned by this thing called sin. It is decaying. There is no life. And the son of man has come that he would be lifted up on that cross on Calvary so that he would die the death that you and I deserve so that we could live eternally. The hope that we have is to look at him, not to get better, not to try harder, but would you look at the perfect one who died for the imperfect? Wow, you see that? Amazing. So what is our hope, Christians? What is the invitation? It's to look at the son of man, see King Jesus for who he is and what he's done. I don't want us to miss... Um, what's happening here, not just in the way that we have faith and the way that we get experience faith and we get to know Jesus, but I want us to show you the character and nature of God because what's happened here is God has illustrated um, how this happens in our lives, but he hasn't told us why. Why? What would motivate God to do this? Let me show you verse 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whomever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God, did, uh, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order to, that the world might be saved through him. Who is our God, Christians? 
Is our God some distant deity who's disappointed us because we're not as awesome as we'd hoped to be? No, 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 no. What would motivate God to give his only son? What would motivate Jesus Christ to go to the cross? What would motivate him to give such a sacrificial thing so that we could have life? Well, it says right here, it's about his love, his deep, his wide, his massive love for unlovable people, that God would love the worst, that God would give his best for us, that God would love the unfaithful, that God would run after those who would run from him. The very heart of God is not an angry dad, not a distant deity, not a frustrated. He loves you that he would give his absolute best for you. Amen? I pray that you would know that and receive that. I'm going to show you one final point. The question I want to ask you guys today is, would you guys move towards Jesus? The final thing I'm asking is, are you playing religious games or are you believing in Jesus Christ? Let me read this. Whomever believes in him is not condemned, but whomever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of of the only son of God, John three eighteen. So here's the deal. I want to make this very clear to you. Heaven is not filled with awesome people. Heaven is not filled with people who've behaved their whole life or got better. Heaven is filled with people who have humbled themselves and placed their faith in King Jesus. Jesus is teaching that the thing that keeps you out of the kingdom of God is not your badness, not your family drama, not your past sin. It's your consistent unbelief and the Savior named Jesus Christ. Who gets in? Those who choose to humble themselves, see their sin, and acknowledge their need for King Jesus. That's what the gospel is all about. Let me continue going. Verse 19 through 20. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone does wicked things, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whomever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He's all that is pure, all that is holy, all that is uncompromising. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. And he stepped into a very dark place called the world. People are hostile to God, naturally reject God. And so when he came, people didn't run towards him. The natural fleshly man ran away from him. What happened in the garden in Genesis early is when sin was exposed and found out, people didn't run to God. They hid from God behind some bushes. And Jesus is saying, just as I've moved towards broken, sinful people, people are hiding from me. But those who are born again, they move towards the light that is in Jesus Christ. I want you guys to know in this point, this final point here is this idea is that Nicodemus and Jesus are having this conversation where? Underneath the cover of darkness. And I think Nicodemus knew in this point that all of his goodness wasn't going to be enough, that he knew he needed to be born again, that he needed to repent from sin, and he needed a new birth. And we don't get any resolution to this story. We don't know if Nicodemus chose to follow Jesus and accept Jesus in this story, but that's the invitation. Church, can I just ask you, are we playing religious games For some of you guys here today, you might have been a part of the church for a long time. You might sing the songs. You might bring the kids to be a part of it. You might serve, and you might even give a few dollars. But I want to ask you, have you ever personally, in a very real way, just said, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus Christ to be my Savior? Have you ever felt the the touch of the Spirit of God in your life? Have you been born again? I'm not trying to scare you, but I just want to invite you into that. If that's not something you've done... Man, would you do that today? Additionally, for some of you guys who just, man, you've run from God. You thought God hated you because you messed up and you were like me and you rebelled. Would you see the very heart and the nature of our God that he loves sinners? And would you move towards him today? Finally, Christian, if you're in this room, 
I want the Spirit of God to help our hearts be stirred with a fresh, a fresh affection for Jesus. In this story, I hope we understand how humbling the gospel is. That Jesus, the Son of Man, had to be lifted up. We could never work our way to heaven, so God had to come from heaven to earth to save sinners. Amazing, right? We're on the receiving end of that. I hope that we are people who, we live with a spirit of gratitude towards God. That I don't know what happens in your life or your circumstances or your job or your relationships, and I don't know what you're frustrated about. Maybe you feel like God's holding out on you, but can I tell you right now, if Jesus Christ has made you alive, he's given you interest into the kingdom of God, he's put his spirit in you, are we not blessed people? We should live with a spirit of gratitude. All right, let me pray and we'll sing. King Jesus, I'm profoundly thankful for the story you've written in my life that as a rebellious college kid, you broke in and saved me from a life of otherwise rebellion. And for so many in this room, at a young age, you broke into their story and saved them from a life of religiously trying and getting better and striving to be something God, thank you for your amazing grace that the Son of Man would be lifted up, that anyone who believes in him would have eternal life. God, you have been so, so good. And so for the Christian, God, I just pray that we would live with gratitude. For the Christian, God, would you continue to keep our hearts humble and thankful for your amazing work on our behalf, that you put a new spirit in us and a new heart in us. And Jesus, lastly, I want to just pray for those in this room that are not yet Christians. They might have been playing religious games. They might be familiar with some church stuff, but they've never been born again from the inside out. If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ and become new, would you pray this prayer? Jesus, I acknowledge my sin. Haven't lived a perfect life, but Jesus, you have on my behalf. Jesus, you are able to forgive sinners. And right now I come to you guilty and would ask that you would cover me. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Help me to walk in the light and live out this new nature that you've given me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, church.